Welcome to the Total Wealth Academy radio show, where wealth includes much more than just money. It includes family, fitness, romance, and all the other parts of a balanced life. Listen and learn how 70% of the millionaires in America made their money using real estate. Now your host, real estate investor and consultant, Steve Davis. Good afternoon and welcome to the Total Wealth Academy radio show. I am your host, Steve Davis, where as always, we're working hard to improve our financial IQ. Uh, Total Wealth Academy is an education and mentoring program for people who want to learn how to build a second stream of income investing in real estate. This really seems to be the only business model that's working is building a second stream of income. You can build it with anything. Just 70% of the millionaires used real estate. Because the strategy of saving your way to retirement is just not effective. Um, using the 4% rule, you literally have to save up $3 million to have just ten grand a month in retirement income. And I'm going to suggest you're going to need it. You know, some of you say, well, I live off less than that. I don't know if you will 20 years from now. The other problem, and I joke about this all the time, is when you save your way to retirement, what are you praying when you retire? Dear God, please kill me before I run out of money. That's what you're saying. I had a guy sit in my office sweating because his dad lived in 94. He's literally afraid of living a long, healthy life because he knows he'll run out of money. So what we talk about on this show is using real estate to build a second stream of income that comes in the rest of your life. Whether you live 10 years or 50 years in retirement, it's irrelevant. The income stream comes in for as long as you live. And I'm bringing on a guest from a different radio show. It's called The Real Estate Guys Radio Show, therealestateguysradio.com. I'm sorry, just realestateguysradio.com. No, the realestateguysradio.com. Now, I met Russ about, I don't know, I bet it's been 15 years ago when I spoke on stage with Robert Kiyosaki in Dallas. And I was impressed, started listening to his show. It's just a very good place to get additional knowledge on real estate investing. And they talk about just about everything. Um, if, if it has to do with building wealth, they're talking about it. So let me bring uh, Russ Gray on the show right now. Russ, thank you so much for calling in. How are you today? I'm great, Steve. Thanks for having me. No, it's my pleasure. I've wanted to have you on for a long time. I have no idea why I put off just emailing to ask. I was like, how do I get in touch with this guy? Oh, just go to the website. And it works. I'm hiding in plain sight. Exactly. So thank you so much for coming in. The first thing that I'd, li that I'd like to talk about is the real estate guy's mission, education for effective action. And I love that you use the word effective and not something like successful or whatever. Um, and then you bring out the point, knowledge is only power when acted upon. So tell me a little bit about how you're helping motivate through your radio show people to take action. Do you have some specific strategies that you use, or is it just encouragement? 
Well, I think that the first thing that people need to work on and nobody wants to is themselves. How yes. we think, how we, what we believe uh, affects what we do. And what we do affects the results we produce. And so a lot of people say, I want to change my results, therefore I need to know what to do. And they go in search of how to uh, and what to do instead of really how they need to change. Uh, you know, Einstein said the same level of thinking that created a problem is not going to solve it. And so we spent a lot of time on breaking paradigms. You know, way back in the day, one of the paradigms we were, we were breaking was just that debt was bad. Uh, and yeah. realizing that we're in a system of perpetual, ever-expanding debt, doesn't matter what the political party is, it doesn't matter what the economic mood is, uh, the one thing that you can be sure of is our system will always add more debt. It has to. It's built into the system. You know, probably don't have time to explain the nuts and bolts of it, but the, the bottom line is our system borrows currency into existence, and that currency then needs to have debt service paid on it, which means more currency needs to be borrowed into existence to pay the interest, and it just compounds, and it's been compounding since the system was uh, replaced in 1913. And so you can only lower interest rates for so long before you hit the zero bound. And then, you know, you have to, do, you have to have inflation, which is of course now what we have. Right. But the only way to be on the right end of that, as you talk about, as anybody who understands real estate is to be in debt. You have to go into debt because the system is rigged in favor of the borrower uh, and not in favor of the saver. Again, that's why Robert, our mutual friend, Robert Kiyosaki says savers are losers. Uh, not that you should consume more than you produce. That's not what he's saying at all. What he's saying, if you're sitting in cash and expecting currency, cash, dollars, to retain its purchasing power over the long term as a store value, you're gravely, sadly mistaken. And, of course, anybody understands that. But if you took a roll of quarters in 1964 and stuck them in a sock drawer, they would have bought 40 gallons of gas at 25 cents a gallon. If you would pull that same roll of quarters out today, 1964 roll of quarters, It'll still buy 40 gallons of gas because they were silver quarters. And silver, hmm. as money, retained its purchasing power over those 50, 60 years. But dollars did not. And people don't understand the difference in money and currency. So fundamentally, you have to understand our system. Once you understand the system, you realize that you need to go into debt, productive debt. The one and only best vehicle for going into productive debt is real estate. You get the cheapest rates, you get the longest terms, you get the best tax breaks. It comes with the income to service the debt. Uh, I mean, the list of benefits, I don't need to tell your audience, goes on and on and on. You know, once you get over that fundamental mindset, now your whole focus is on uh, acquiring that debt and the cash flows and tax breaks that you're going to need to service it and just hold on to it while equity happens which is what happens uh, as a result of asset prices going up as a result of inflation or falling currency. So that's kind of it in a nutshell. And then all the rest of it is just blocking and tackling. But you got, you got, to, you got to get that, that mental shift made. And then you have to become a person who's capable of managing all of that and taking action. Because knowing what to do and doing it are two different things. Just ask anybody out there who's not at their ideal body weight if, if they have any idea what to do about that. 99.9% .9 of them know exactly what they need to do. The problem yep. is the knowledge. It's, it's who they are and how they think and the relationship with food and their self-image. Yeah, Stephen Covey makes the comment that to know and not to do 
is the same as not knowing. And I think that's very profound because if you do it, it's only after you do something that you really own the knowledge. Before it's faith, you know, I'll take one of my students and I tell them, you know, your first rent house, your first apartment, you're gonna be scared to death because you're acting purely on faith. The second one, after you've done one successfully, is so much easier because it's no longer just theory, it's no longer just faith. You're now acting on real past experience and that helps people move forward much, much quicker. Um, we had, I had one lady, I think it took her three years to buy her first rent house and she bought 12 the following year. It wasn't that she didn't have the money, she had the money. She just was scared to death. So the, the main reason I called, wanted to have you on was we've got some corrections going across the United States. Uh, there's some cities that have dropped 20%. Texas is not getting hit too hard yet. You know, we always seem to be the last one to get hit in a recession or one of the last states to get hit in a recession or correction. But I wanted to talk to you about helping people understand that people get wealthy in real estate during a recession. If you go back to 2007, 8, 9, 10, even through 11, we were buying properties, you know, zero down, 5,000 down, 10,000 down. And in the up market over the last few years, we've been about 30 grand. Oh, by the way, Russ, we're in Texas. <laughs> Aren't you in California? Uh, no, actually, I'm in Arizona now. Oh, I okay. The People's Republic of California. I made a pit stop in Las Vegas or Nevada uh, and then ended up here in, in Arizona. And then the, my partner, the host of the show, is, is, is in Texas. So we, we, oh, we met wow. and started everything in California. We still broadcast our radio show in San Francisco just for legacy sake. been broadcasting there on, on radio since 1997. And it's really the podcast that everybody hears. It's heard all over the world now. And, uh, but, but yeah, don't, don't miss California except that it's beautiful. Yeah, it is beautiful. But the, the, I just want to make sure that you're going 30,000 down. We're paying a lot more than that if you were in California, but if you're in no, Arizona, that's like a house payment. yeah, <laughs> the, uh, and in Texas, then, you know, we're buying these 200 to $300,000 homes that lease for, you know, 1,700, 2,200, we make about four or $500 a month cash flow. It's a sweet spot where when you buy in that market, you get the highest rent per dollar spent. Uh, we got to go to break, Russ. Uh, we'll talk more after the break. This is the Total Wealth Academy radio show. I got my special guest, Russ Gray of realestateguysradio.com. You can check them out at realestateguysradio.com. Thanks for listening.
The rich teach their kids differently than the poor and middle class. We are teaching our students what the rich teach their kids. Learn why saving your way to retirement doesn't work and how to build a second stream of income that comes in for the rest of your life. This allows you to retire at any age and simply enjoy more of your life with peace of mind about your financial future. Please attend our free sample class to learn more. Go to TotalWealthAcademy.com. That's TotalWealthAcademy.com for reservations. Thank you. Welcome back to the Total Wealth Academy radio show. I am your host, Steve Davis. I'm on the line with my special guest, Russ Gray of realestateguysradio.com. They have a podcast and a radio show uh, with some phenomenal information. I really highly recommend it as a supplement to this show. Again, the website is realestateguysradio.com. And the host is Robert Helms. And Russ Gray is the co-host, and he's on the line with us now. I guess I'll get to the main question I had for you. In your opinion, Russ, what are we looking at the next couple of years? Sorry, Steve. Uh, if you're talking to me, I, you, I, all I heard was the last question. I didn't hear the tee up. Okay. The, I'm just curious what you're, what you're thinking you know, I almost want to say, what are you telling people on your radio show is going to happen the next two or three years? Well, it's interesting. We just got back from our annual investor summit. And uh, so I spent a week with Daniel Martino Booth, Chris Martinson, uh, George Gammon, and um, a whole bunch of real estate investors, uh, you know, Main Street folks that, you know, aren't household names, but live in the real world every day. And so we kind of took the macro view and the Main Street view and put it all in a blender and uh, kind of smoked it for a week to figure out what, what was coming. <laughs> and, and, and I think, I think you know, the general consensus is uh, that, that the, Fed okay. is, the Fed is going to continue until it breaks something. And I asked Danielle point blank, what what's going to break? You know, what, what what's going to break? I mean, ever since the Fed's going to raise rates until something breaks, what's going to break? And she thinks it'll be the credit markets. I said, okay, well, that makes sense to me. You know, I, I learned a lot in 2008, uh, and when COVID first broke, I said, oh, we're going to have a four-phase cascading crisis, gonna, crisis uh, that's going to turn into an economic crisis because we're shutting everything down, so commerce is going to stop. When revenue starts flowing, so do debt payments, so we're going to have a financial crisis. And then to repair that financial crisis, we will probably have a currency crisis. And so the idea is that at some point the credit markets will break um, because it's, it's just like with apartment buildings, when cap rates go up, asset values are falling, assuming the income's not going up. So with the bond market, when you get a bunch of debt out there at 1% and 2%, you start raising interest rates to 3 and 4%, you are collapsing the values of those bonds. And those bonds are hypothecated and rehypothecated throughout the financial system, which is just fancy pants words for saying they're leveraged to the gills. And when those those bonds start going bad and the margin calls start coming in, uh, that's when you get that systemic risk because one person's asset, the bond, is another person's liability, the IOU. And, you know, when the IOU goes bad, your your asset, uh, the collectible, goes bad, you know, the receivable, and, uh, and now your balance sheet starts to have problems. And so you start having to sell things and you have a liquidity crisis and when you don't have enough dollars, the response is you've got to provide those dollars and the Fed is going to start 
printing those dollars, and they're going to get into the system either directly through treasury purchases, which are backing off of right now, or through government spending, which is really where it is at right now. And uh, what I've learned over the last couple of years, as I've been listening to guys like George, is that one of the first places that's going to show up is in the repo market. You may recall back in September 2019, repo interest rate in the repo market went from 1% to 10%. That's a 10x risk premium. So, it, you know, you don't have to know that much to know that when interest rates go up by, by 1,000%, that something's broken. All of a sudden, people yeah. don't trust each other. There's a lot of risk because interest is a risk premium on money. And the Fed was pumping $200 billion a day into the repo market to keep it liquid. And just to give some context, at the height of financial crisis, you know, with the QE and all of the loosening, they were putting $120 billion per month into the system. And they were putting $200, $200 billion per day Man. into the repo market. So something was clearly broken. And so a lot of what's been going on the last couple of years has been putting Band-Aids on all of this, and the result of all this printing is inflation. And now they're trying to put a cap on the inflation, genie, but they can't, can't do it, not the way Paul Volcker did it. You know, back in the 70s, which was one of our themes on the summit, and we're kind of back to the 70s, we had stagflation. You know, you're hearing the term stagflation for the first time in most people's adult lifetimes. I'm 62 years old, and I was a teenager in the 70s. I went from 10 to 20 years old in the 1970s. And uh, so I experienced inflation and stagflation. Uh, you know, I wasn't super sophisticated, but I was paying attention. But if, you were, if you're not over 60 years old, you, you don't even have any recollection of, of what it looks like to have rising prices and stagnant economic growth. But that's what we've got. So the question is, is, you know, how did they fix it? it in 1981, Paul Volcker, and from, from I think it was June of 1980. No, June of I think it was June of 1981. I think it was June of 1980. Uh, sorry, July of 1980 to June of 1981. Volcker took interest rates from 8.6 to nearly 21 percent, hmm. less than 12 months. Think about that. I mean, it was just ridiculous. But the debt to GDP back then was only 30 percent. Today, it's 130 plus percent. So we don't have the balance sheet to absorb that kind of interest rate increase. And the amount of debt in the system, the bond market bubble that's blown up as a result of falling. Imagine, imagine 40 years in real estate of falling cap rates. 40 years. Imagine where, where apartment prices would be at if cap rates yeah. were just steadily falling for 40 straight years. Yeah. Well, that's what happened in the bond market. Interest rates fell for 40 years, and all of this money went into bonds. And so there's all these bonds out there that are valued, you know, at these really, really low interest rates. And you start raising interest rates, and you're collapsing the, the, the value of those bonds. So uh, I, I think ultimately the pressure is going to be on the dollar. And I don't know that Americans are really prepared for that. Uh, you know, most other countries think about the world in terms of, their currency and the dollar because the dollar is the world's reserve currency but americans only think about money in terms of the dollar yeah, the dollar and they don't have a plan b i mean smart ones that you know have gold maybe you know they're 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 hedging a little bit with with crypto i'm, I'm still not 100 percent on board with crypto as far as a uh, as far as an uh what a uh, haven but i do look at it as an alternative you know something else you can spend if the dollar falls apart 
you know, has some advantages over gold. But, but you know, I'm a big believer in having some precious metals, converting equity from properties into, into, into gold. You know, there's a strategy for that. It's pretty simple. You just arbitrage your equity, borrow out at one rate, invest the proceeds at a higher rate, and take the spread. You know, for example, you borrow $200,000 out at, call it 8 4%, and then you invest 100000 at 8%. Now you've got 100000 that's free and clear because the income on the 100000 at 8% is paying the debt service on the 200000 at 4%. Right? So you're even. On cash flow, you got 100000 free and clear, and you buy gold. You just wait. Interesting. Yeah, you I don't buy. buy. You wait. Yeah, I've never bought it's, anything it's, speculative. Yeah, it's not, it's not really speculative. It's, I mean, if you go back to what I said, it's, it's, just, it's just putting some wealth in, in money. And, and really, if you look at what's going on, I think gold is like plus 8% this year. And look at everything else. I mean, it's been one of the most stable places just to preserve wealth while all of this chaos is going on. It's doing what it's supposed to be doing. But most people just don't understand it. That's one of the big lessons coming out of 2008 for me. I wasn't a gold guy back then, but I looked around and said, gee, gold is doing well and real estate's not. What, do I, what am I not getting? Interesting. Okay, we got to go to break. When we come back, we'll talk about what we think this is going to do to prices of single-family homes and apartments. All right, this is the Total Wealth Academy radio show. I am your host, Steve Davis. We'll talk more after the break. Thanks for listening. There's an old joke. When is the best time to buy real estate? 20 years ago. When is the second best time? Today. And that is truer than ever with the impending recession and the correction that is going on right now. Real estate investors are going to make millions of dollars over the next few years because of the recession. You should take advantage of it as well. To find out how, attend our free sample class at TotalWealthAcademy.com. TotalWealthAcademy.com. Just click on the free sample class button. Thank you. Welcome back to the Total Wealth Academy Radio Show. I'm your host, Steve Davis. On the line, we have a special guest, Rust, of realestateguysradio.com. Realestateguysradio.com. And they take an in-look, in-depth look at really many, many different types of investments. Uh, as he mentioned, even gold. Um, Russ, the, if I go back, you know, to 2007 and eight. I had about 4,000 apartment units that I was invested in. Um, all my property values dropped, you know, dramatically, but I didn't care. The cash flow remained the same. In fact, it went up because people were moving out of their homes, either forced or a lot of people, oddly to me, decided to sell and moved into our apartment. So rents went up in both our apartments and single family. So I continued to acquire real estate throughout 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, including setting up my son in a uh, group of houses so that he had a second stream of income. Um, what, what was your strategy back then? Did you have any troubles in the recession? <laughs> yeah, 2008 was a wipeout for me uh, because I didn't understand the concept of a SWOT analysis. And so uh, I was in the mortgage brokerage business, one of my businesses, and I was doing great um, right up until I wasn't. And so I had this big portfolio of 
highly leveraged real estate uh, that was marginal cash flow at best. In some cases, I just would make the mortgage payment. And I, I didn't really isolate. It was really foolish, but I was busy with my business, and it was easier for me to handle it. So uh, it wasn't smart at all. And when what happened is when the credit markets collapsed, uh, my credit lines disappeared, so I had no operating capital to run my business. Um, my pipeline completely collapsed. I uh, couldn't get any loans funded. Therefore, all of my business income stopped, but my expenses didn't. The equity in all my properties disappeared because it was very thin. Now I'm upside down, and I didn't have enough cash flow to debt service, and I had no way to subsidize it. So uh, it was really a mistake to look at my business and my investment portfolio as one unit and use the cash flow from the business to offset the speculation, basically, that I was doing in, on the real estate side. And we had a real estate development company at the time, and we were using construction funding to build, and then we were depending upon the buyers using financing for the takeout. And with the credit markets completely broken, all of that stopped. And those projects you know, failed, so um, I've not kept it a secret to our audience and that, that it was really, really bad for me. And it was a hundred percent my fault because at the very same time, I'm friends with Ken McElroy, uh, Robert Kiyosaki's rich in fact, just, he was also yeah. at the summit this last week. And at the same time, all Kenny's portfolio was cash flowing and he was in acquisition mode. He acquired $300 million of real estate at the same time. I was just getting my rear end handed to me. And, you know, I realized that I had a bad philosophy and I needed to make each property carry its own weight, and I needed to separate the business from the uh, investment portfolio, both from an asset protection perspective and certainly from a financial performance perspective, and I needed to isolate the damage if something went wrong, and I also needed to recognize when I had single-point failure, in this case, uh, a very, very high reliance on healthy credit markets. So as bad as it was, uh, I, I got a lot of great lessons, it forced me to study macro. I would have never done that. It forced me to understand gold and learn the gold, and get introduced to the gold community. I would have never done that. It, it forced me to create a whole new portfolio strategy, uh, which I would have never done. So it forced me to study uh, oil and agriculture and other types of real estate. And it taught me to go offshore where and understand the difference between markets that were bubble markets that had a lot of debt built into them and markets that didn't have debt. I think if you look back, and obviously you were in Texas at the time, Texas wasn't as hit as hard, and part of the reason is they had more conservative lending laws. It was harder to lever up real estate in Texas than it was, say, in California, Florida, or Arizona. Yeah. And so you had more stable prices. The other thing is I learned that macroeconomics matter not just you know, like at the global and national level, but even at the state level. So the business-friendly environment of Texas was creating jobs, uh, having an economy that was driven by energy as opposed to manufacturing that was being exported off to China or Mexico as companies were trying to save money. Uh, you can't export, and I learned this from Ken McElroy, you know, it's pretty hard to export energy production jobs because the energy is where the energy is. You've got you to mine it where it is. Right. So we, we, we changed our focus from these speculative economies where people were just kind of money was flowing because they were the hot market. We really started focusing on markets that had sound fundamentals. So uh, Texas was 
coming out of the recession, Dallas in particular was our number one market. Uh, and a big part of that was because of the diversification of the economy and that it was fundamentally based on two major industries that were geographically linked, energy and distribution. It had a lot of other things going for it, uh, business-friendly environment, low taxes. And to your point earlier is when you've got people under stress, if you're at the right price point in the right market relative to other markets, well, everybody else is losing customers because they're getting financially weak. You're actually gaining them because yeah. the weakness is driving them from the higher price markets, the higher price states, the higher price product niches into your niche. So I think affordable housing is basic and fundamental. I think that a recession creates upward demand on that, so that insulates you from some of the downward pressure. Everybody feels a recession, but you feel it less if, if you're in things that are already affordable and absolutely essential. And I would put affordable housing like right up at the top of the list. Well, one thing, um, I have to say, I always liked you, but I have a deep respect for you now, uh, deeper than I had before, by your admission that you had made some mistakes. I talked to people and they're like, yeah, the recession hit and it was this, that and the other. And they never take responsibility. And you did. That is extremely impressive. And my listeners look for that. I can tell you that right now. So they're going to be impressed as hell. Oh, sorry. Uh, at, at that. And then you turned massive negativity into massive positivity, which is another thing we study on this show, how you take lessons. You don't look at life as success or failure. It's just results. Okay, I got a result I don't want. What can I learn from this? And that's exactly what you did. Um, very impressive. I think that when I look at the coming recession, I know there's going to be a lot of opportunity. You know, of course, we got to have the financing to do it, um, the credit to do it. But there's going to be a lot of opportunity. And, I mean, I'm already seeing it. A friend of mine was negotiating a 165-unit and the interest rate got raised before he locked in. He ended up getting a 15% discount on the property to make the deal work because it wasn't going to work with the new interest right. rates for him or another buyer. So the seller came down. So I think we're going to see a lot of that as well. And then what I don't see is a lot of people selling their homes, getting foreclosed on, um, what is your thought on that? Well, it's ticking up. I'm sure you see the stats as well. Um, and the big question is, is whether or not the credit markets will break, as Danielle said, and if it'll be an on-off switch. Uh, so I think that recession is an interesting word, but what does it really mean? Yeah. You know, if a recession is a retraction in economic activity, that's one definition. If it's a if it's a recession in terms of purchasing power, like an inflationary recession, people have jobs, but they don't have purchasing power because their wages aren't going up as fast as their cost of living. That creates a different level of stress. If it's an asset price recession, um, which is the net result, when the Fed raises the interest rates, then everything in the market, interest rates go up. It's, what you just described is basically a retrade on a, an apartment building that was priced at a certain rate. Uh, based on the cost of the debt, right? Because that's a big component of it. 
And so with the rising interest rate, the number no longer penciled, if the guy wanted to get the deal done, he had to accept that his cap rate had gone up, which is wonderful when you're the buyer, but it sucks when you're the seller. And the seller had to eat it a little bit, right? So a lot of sellers are getting uh, reality checks, and those who aren't uh, are trying to hold the line. Like McElroy was telling us that he's, he's, he's got people walking away from hard deposits and due diligence fees rather than continue with the transaction because they just cannot get the deal to pencil with today's rates. So, you know, there's going to be all of those opportunities. One of the things that came out of 2008 for us when the credit markets broke was a reality or, or the realization that there was going to be a lot of opportunity in private capital. And that's when we really shifted our focus of our training to teaching people how to syndicate. Uh, I think whether you're a, a small investor or a big investor, having a network of people that have dry powder, that are preparing for the shopping spree that's likely to come uh, so that you don't need to use conventional credit because part of what will drive the prices down, if Danielle is right, is when the credit markets collapse. You can't assume you're going to be able to go in and get an 80% or a 75% loan if the credit markets collapse. And so you have to be able to go in and pay cash. And in a market like that, you should be able to pick up bargains, and then you trust that when the credit markets heal, you'll be able to put financing on. But you've got yeah. to have people that have dry powder. Man, I love your use of words like dry powder, and it really clarifies the thought. It makes it easy to understand. Okay, we got to go to break. Do you mind staying on for a few more minutes? Yeah. Okay. All right, this is the Total Wealth Academy radio show. I am your host, Steve Davis. Um, Ken McElroy, who Russ keeps referring to, I'm going to give you his website when we come back from the break so you can check him out as well. Thanks for listening. The stock market was never designed to build wealth. It was designed to keep up with inflation. Please don't worry about the ups and downs. The average rate of return over the last 75 years is about 7%. You will get that even with the ups and downs. If you want a higher rate of return and less volatility, consider real estate. We make about three times as much as the stock market. Please attend our free sample class to learn more. Go to TotalWealthAcademy.com. That's TotalWealthAcademy.com for reservations. Thank you. Welcome back to the Total Wealth Academy radio show. I am your host, Steve Davis, and we're on the line. Uh, It's realestateguysradio.com, realestateguysradio.com, and we're talking with Russ. Russ, when those markets collapse, uh, the credit market primarily, what happens to private money? In other words, they start getting a premium you know, and I'm not talking about a syndication. I'm talking about just hard money loans, um, owner financing, things like that. What do you see happening with that? So, um, sorry, you're, you're, you're a little light. I was having a hard time hearing. So you're asking me when, when credit markets collapse, how do I see that affecting real estate prices, basically? No, no more of, okay, say I'm out there hustling and yeah. I'm using hard money loans and, gotcha. but I'm going to need, you know, the conventional financing is off the table. So I've got to go to, um, lenders that are investors, um, to get that permanent financing, basically an owner finance deal. Does that become more prevalent? Well, absolutely. You know, private lending? I mean, you know that's, 
that kind of the birth of creative finance was back when Volcker jacked rates to 20% and conventional financing just didn't work. So yeah. people were gobbling up assumable loans everywhere until they shut the door on that, you know. And then owner carry back became very popular, you know, kind of the no money down strategy popularized by Robert Allen and other teachers that all kind of grew out of that era. And owner's equity is obviously one of the great uh, resources available. Uh, and when you don't have to contend with underwriting and conventional lending, so you, you see wraps, people will be doing wraps. The existing loans will become much more valuable. You might use a, a bridge loan or a hard money loan in the second position in order to take out the equity or get the owner to carry back or some combination thereof. But yeah, you're, you're, I, think, I think the bottom line is one of the skill sets that will be worth a premium in a marketplace like that is your ability to understand how to structure and negotiate those deals. Because, you know, the, the, the real estate investor out there who only knows how to call their mortgage broker and apply for a loan and can't get one is going to know what to do. Yeah. And the, the number of people competing for properties is going to go down. The sellers are going to be more pliable. Uh, and so people who understand how to identify what the seller's needs really are a lot of times, you know, they want out of the property because it's bleeding, because it's got maintenance, because they got to move, whatever it is. They really don't need the equity, uh, or they don't need all of it, or they don't right. need or all of it want all of it at once. Or maybe they feel like they feel better, like, oh, I got a better price. But if you get the right terms, you know, you might be willing to offer a better price, especially if you know you're buying at a bargain. If you bought the property at a dip, and you think, hey, ten years from now, uh, it'll be easy for me to pay this back because. Markets will come back and inflation, you know, you put out their short-term fire and buy yourself some time and let equity happen. And then, you know, you, you pay them back a little bit of a premium and they're happy and you end up keeping most of it and you're happy. Yeah. You so, know, yeah. I, f I forgot to do something, Russ, and you keep talking about equity happens and that's a book that you wrote as well. I don't think people Out of print. are aware of it's it. Very hard to get. You buy a used copy, not cheap. Yeah, we, we really have wanted to update it since after the 2008 crisis, and we just, you know, it's been on the to to do list since forever. But if you find a used copy of it, buy it. It's it's a great book. I mean, it really just explains how to use leverage, uh, and 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 why debt makes sense in an inflationary environment. Yeah, and but, it's. Uh, who we're fighting against is a guy I actually love. I think he's a great guy. I think he's good for America. Is um, doggone it! Every time I go for his name, the guy who says all debt is bad. Um, oh, Dave Ramsey. Dave Ramsey. Um, yeah. I well, he's I think, fine. I mean, if you're familiar with Kiyosaki's cash flow quadrant, you know the people who are employees or even self-employed people on the E and the S side of the quadrant. You know, no yeah. debt. That's fine. Right. That's 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 fine. That's who Susie Orman and Dave Ramsey are good for. Yeah. Uh, people who don't want to bother to learn how to invest, you know, turn your money over to a Wall Street guy and just let them invest in the indexes and whatever. But, you know, if you're interested to listen to a show like this and you want, you're willing to understand, you know, learn what you're doing, the kind of things that Kiyosaki talks about that we talk about are for people that are on the other side, the, the, the I and the B, the business owner and the investor. I mean, really, we're talking about investors. Yeah, and let, let me make a distinction, Russ, for the my listeners. Remember the rule. You're self-employed if, well, you only own a business if you can disappear for a year and make the same amount of money as if you're there. Exactly. 
Yeah, if you disappear, otherwise you're you, a job. Yeah, otherwise you're just self-employed. But nothing. I don't want to be discouraging to people who are self-employed. That's a great first step, but they have to understand it's the first step, not the last step. Then the last thing I want to do, it's KenMcElroy.com. He keeps referring to Ken. I think you should go to YouTube, type in Ken McElroy, check out a few of his YouTube videos. They're not fire and brimstone. This is going to, he has a way of delivering his information that you can digest it, and he doesn't scare you. Um, I really like him. You can also oh, find him. Oh, he's the real deal. Yeah. I mean, he's not yeah, trying he's to sell you deal. anything. He's the real deal. I mean, he's 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 a great, great guy, a great mentor of mine, good friend. Uh, been coming out to our events since forever. We teach together. It's just he's 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 awesome. In fact, I did his show, and it turned out to be one of his more popular shows. And I'm not saying that to brag. I'm saying that somehow <laughs> what we talked about resonated with his audience. And in in particular, I, I defined stagflation in a way that he and Daniil really understood it. And his audience really understood it. So if you look that up, you're like, what is this stagflation? I don't really understand. I hear it all the time, but I don't really understand it. Look up the episode that I did on Kenny's podcast on YouTube, uh, and I think you'll find that that explanation uh, is, has been, for a lot of people, made it easy for them to understand kind of what, how, how numbers can go up, but actual productivity can go down. Yeah, it, you can be fooled. You can be fooled by, by numbers, thinking that things are good when they're not really good. Yeah, it is deceptive confusion. at times. It is deceptive at times. So check out KenMcElroy.com. Also go to YouTube and, of course, check out Real Estate Guys. Check out Ken McElroy. Check out Robert Kiyosaki. And get this information in your head. Um, the thing about, again, Ken, it's always uplifting. He always offers, this is what you do if this happens. And he has solutions for the problems. Same thing with Kiyosaki. Okay, I've got a few questions I'm going to have to answer that were emailed to me. So I really appreciate you coming on today, Russ. Thank you so much. No, happy to do it. Appreciate the invite. All right, you take care. All right, take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay, those of you that emailed me, I'll try to get to all of them. For some reason, I got like 10 or 12. I will not be able to get to all of them. But... Uh, this first one is from Freddie, and he's talking about a speculative question. And I think you may have wanted this for Russ, so I'm sorry I let him go before I answered this. But which market to invest in? Freddie, remember this. You can go into any market, anywhere, at any time, and make or lose money. Trying to pick the best market to invest in is a speculative thing. It's gambling. It's going, oh, I think this area is going to grow. I think that area is going to continue to grow. I mean, you just don't know. So what you want to do, Freddie, is what Russ said, don't do a deal that won't support itself under any circumstance. Don't do a deal that's negative cash flow because you think it's going to go up in value. Don't do a deal that's negative cash flow because you think the cash flow is going to increase, rents are going to increase. You make sure your deals cash flow from day one. Then you don't have to worry about it. And what happens, Freddie, is you get the appreciation by default. You don't have to think about appreciation. 
You get it by default if you'll buy for cash flow. Again, it comes across as bragging, and I apologize, but in the 7, 8, and 9, when people were losing money, losing property, I didn't care because I'd only bought for cash flow. I didn't do any speculation whatsoever. So when the prices dropped, I still had the cash flow. You want to put yourself in that position, Freddie. Don't try to pick the right place to invest. Pick the right deal, and it can possibly be anywhere. The only thing I'll tell you is this, Freddie. If you have to carry a gun to pick up your rent, don't buy that property. <laughs> so there is a limit. You know, don't go so far down that, you know, you're, you're risking your life to collect your rent in a rough area. But C class, B class, A class, if they're cash flowing, they will continue to cash flow as a rule through the recession. And as a rule, it's generally the rents are going to go up a little bit, depending on the type of recession that we have. All right. Hope that helps, Freddie. And I hope, I, I hope it's not discouraging at all. Just don't try to pick neighborhoods. Buy for cash flow. Because all neighborhoods go up. Remember, all real estate doubles in value about every 20 years. Okay, thanks everybody for listening. Have a great rest of your day. You've been listening to the Total Wealth Academy radio show. Please remember that this show is for entertainment purposes only and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investing advice. Always get a professional opinion before making any investment decisions. To find out more about coaching and consulting at Total Wealth Academy, visit TotalWealthAcademy.com and attend one of our free sample classes on real estate investing. Thanks for listening. Have a great day.